0: Yeah, we have some uh, startup music. It's really good. Just want to let it play out a little bit. It's got nice vibes. Our Denver theme song, folks. Yeah, so welcome back. This is Modern Business Podcast. We are on day number two, and uh, I think we've, we've dubbed this as our Denver theme music. In the next states, we're going to download different music. So you got to listen in. And uh, speaking of the next states, we're going to be visiting, uh, what do we got next, Zach? Utah. So we got, we got Salt Lake City next, and then we're doing uh,
1: Las Vegas, and then we're going to be going out to LA, Orange County, and then we're uh, finishing off in, uh, in Scottsdale. So very, very excited. But, we're, but it's, it's 95 degrees today here, so it kind of feels like it's Scottsdale at the moment. But uh, but but we're excited to get in a, get into another
0: day. And speaking of music, we had some great theme music as well on the Uber on the way over. Just some nice. yeah, we chance. were listening to
1: some funk with the Uber driver today. It was o- o- always very fun, so I can't really complain.
0: Anyways, we are in very good company today. I uh, have not had the opportunity to meet our guests in person, or really, I, we haven't met at conferences or anything. Um, that's part of the reason why we do this. We get to get out, we get to meet people, and uh, you know, I think we just live through a really weird time so at the top of the house kind of why we are doing this tour i think it's kind of a turning of the chapter it's it's like the world has been shut down and things are things are it just feels like a different movement we have conferences coming back up we've been talking about springboard which is september 26th through 28th and that is in person and live and we just kind of felt it was important to bring content back but in person And that's kind of one of the reasons that we're doing the tour. Zach, any thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, nobody is crazier than us when it comes to just going out and doing stuff like this. So I think it was always nice to be able to go out and see people again. And I think that that's really the reason that we're doing it is because we missed everybody. I think we just want to... Get out there and, and actually talk to people in person again. I think that we're we're both kind of sick of just talking to each other. So I think we need to have more people in the mix a little bit. We, you know, we are our guests that we don't gonna know ch- how we don't get tired of each other. I'm I mean, not we're really just sure. Chatting about that I'm now. not really sure, but I mean, I, you know, our guests here were like wondering how we how we don't kill each other, and the answer is I'm not. You know, we're uncertain, but I think that uh, we'll see what happens at the end of this. But at any rate, uh, we're really excited to get into this today. Uh, we have two really awesome guests. Uh, one one of which I, I, I obviously have known and, and I've worked with over the course of uh, my career and my family's career and all of that. And so we're really excited to have, you know, Mr. John Ramsey, the VP of uh, Franchise Development for Noodles & Company. And then we also have uh, another special guest that uh, we were able to get on here as well. We, we wrangled her from her schedule today. Uh, we have the CMO uh, of Noodles & Company. We have Stacey Poole with us. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So what we want to start with, and I think we're going to go with the marketer on this um, in terms of the founding story, because uh, I think that, you know, I'm sure John has to say this to people all the time in terms of what Noodles & Company is If they for the 12 people who don't know. But, uh, Stacy, would you mind starting with uh, really a bit about Noodles and & Company and the founding story?
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Noodles was founded in 1995. It was founded by a man named Aaron Kennedy, and what Aaron did observed as he was in New York City was that there was a lot of ways to get his family noodles dishes, but they, he had to go to a lot of different places to actually get the noodles dishes. So whether the family wanted Italian, um, an Asian dish, any kind of Thai, they had to end up going to all of these different restaurants. And he thought, well, why can't I get that for my family in one restaurant and that it allows them to get whatever they want. So they can really, truly pick the noodle dish that that was of their favorite versus having to have everybody eat Thai or everybody to eat Italian. And so he founded Noodles in 1995, and the first noodles restaurant actually um, was started in Cherry Creek. I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys know that. I lived
0: here for four years. Oh, so yeah, exactly perfect. It's thought.
2: like the perfect place to open it up is. a noodles and company um, in the Cherry Creek neighborhood and the rest is history. We just hit our 20 years last year in COVID. Wow. We're 20, 25, 24. 25 years. Wow. 25 years. Yeah. Last year. Just exciting.
1: I love it. I think that there's definitely, you know, I I actually grew up with it uh, as well because you guys had a location. Um, I was, I was talking to your, uh, your, your lovely communications manager here, Brian. And I was saying that we are, we're, we're from the same area. So I'm from a town probably about two towns over from him and uh, we, I grew up going to Noodles and Company all the time. And in, in high school, we had our little open lunch, and I used to go out and go and get it every day. And I got a different thing. I'm, a, I'm an adventurous eater, as my esteemed co-host knows, and so uh, I got something different all the time, which is always
2: good. Yes. I, I was just going to add to that, that. We talk a lot about people being cautiously adventurous, because yeah. it's not quite the tie. like you don't go all in. But you want Thai. Your yeah. So it's a good way to, to try the dish um, and try multiple dishes.
0: It's a gateway into it more things. It is totally gateway. So what's the footprint now in terms of units? So 25 years, congrats. That's an awesome mm-hmm. milestone. What's the footprint look like in the mix between corporate stores and, and franchise?
2: We have about almost 450 stores across 29 states. Um, Our mix is roughly 15% franchisee, 85% company-owned. And for the most part, uh, we have presence across most of, like we have 29 states, but it's pretty spread. But a lot of it is within that Midwestern area. So Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota. Um, We are seeing really great um, penetration in some of the Western markets now, Oregon, Utah, Arizona. Um, But yeah, I I think, and we're just looking, and and John can talk about this, we're looking to expand even further in Southeast, Southwest, and even exploring some areas on the East Coast.
0: Beautiful. John, quick question for you, and if you had a follow up, you can add a follow up to that. But how does the brand differentiate? I know in your category, you you differentiate, but you also compete with other restaurants. The story that you were talking about earlier, you know, we have a fixed number of people that live in the United States, for example, and we got to have three meals a day, but how are you differentiating? There's a lot of options in terms of where you can go to eat. Um, how do you differentiate? Well, I think there's a few different ways that we look at it.
3: Uh, and one of the beauties of the brand is that our guest uses different ways at different times, you know, sort of, you know, I think Zach is a good example of you know somebody started going there in high school and sort of used it as an opportunity to try different things. Um, then we'll have other guests that are extremely loyal to one thing. You know, like they love mac and cheese, and we have the best mac and cheese. Therefore, they become our regular user. Um, it's a you know, I'll tell you my own experience with the brand, which also sort of fits in with the franchising story, and this will help kind of explain it. So, um, back in 2000, fast casual was really Noodles was started in 95, but in 2000 was really sort of the beginning of the fast casual segment really coming to to life. Um, I joined a brand called Rubio's out in California, which was one of the first fast casual Mexican brands. Well, uh, we actually made a road trip to Denver because Chipotle started here, Qdoba started here, and Noodles started here. So we wanted to basically mystery shop our competitors and other brands to see how they were doing, what they were doing differently, how were they positioning themselves for uh, fast casual and um, it just coincidentally, the chief operating officer, Rubio's at the time, fell in love. Not only did he fall in love with the Noodles brand, he became their first franchisee in California. Right. Um, and so he, one of the very first Noodles franchise restaurants to open was in San Diego, California, which is where I live. So I've been going there for 15 years as a guest. Uh, and my kids grew up with it. And I think the way I would describe... Now, getting back to your question about how the brand is positioned or what makes it different, is for us, it was a weekly trip after church. Um, it was a place to go in the afternoon where it a family of four. Everybody, you know, two young kids, kind of picky eaters. They could each get their own dish. And then my wife and I could each, if we were being a little bit more adventurous and I wanted pad thai and my wife wanted, you know, the pesto cavatappi, she I could get that. I do love some pad thai. <laughs> so it was sort of, so Noodles has become this location that sort of appeals to a family appeals to a group of people uh, where each one can sort of get their own dish and their own meal and come away satisfied. It's also, if you think about noodles, this is not complicated food and it's really not a regional food in that sense. So it's very easily understood. So regardless of where our restaurants are located, people get it Right? you don't have to explain it to them or you don't have to appeal and say, oh, well, this is a regional type dish and you need to learn how to eat it. That's not the case. So scalability, I think is very important. Exactly. And I think that, you know, it's it's
1: clear that just based off of the blend that you guys have between being you know fifteen percent franchise, but and you guys didn't necessarily need to go with the franchise model the entire way because that scalability, you know, people go into franchising for different reasons, and we and we know that. But I, I believe that the the scalability that you guys have is a major asset, and I would imagine because of that, um, you you likely have quite a few other aspects to your business that are you know pretty impressive that really do make a difference when a franchisee is, when a potential franchisee is coming to you. So John, I want to stay with you on this because, and I would love Stacey for you to add on to this as well, uh, as it relates to technology as well. I'm sure that there is a lot that you guys have that allow you to gain an edge, but when you're having conversations with these potential, you know, multi-unit folks, John, when they're coming to you, you know, what are you highlighting that Noodle has, that Noodles has in place that's really allowing you guys to be on the cutting edge?
3: Yeah, great question, and it is really core to our, our franchising message. So uh, I would say there's – I could sort of go to my big five points. First one being economics is that it's a very affordable investment. Um, we have very high average unit volumes, and we have good margins. So you talk about scalability, right? To me, that's the secret to success, the scalability from an economic standpoint. So for franchisees, that's clearly an important aspect for them is the economics innovation and I'll let this is really Stacy's world we'll talk more about this but when I think of innovation and what I explain to franchisees is it's, it's menu innovation, it's technology it's digital ordering sort of all those parts and pieces that go into it and, and Stacy will talk more to that. Um, the next is growth and so when scalability is another way to say it but we have a lot of open territory and so for the franchisees that we're appealing to they're looking for a brand that they could grow. This is not a single-unit franchise opportunity. This is a, a multiple lo- units. And so what people, what franchisees want is they want an area that they could designate for themselves, they could commit to a large territory, and they could build out the brand. So that growth uh, footprint is really important. Um, leadership, uh, you know, when you look at uh, Stacy and, and other folks with our brand that, that you'll meet and, and talk to, um, we've been doing this for 25 years. We have now enough restaurants that we have... Uh, uh, very good leadership team, people who have been in the restaurant business a long time, people that bring other skills to the table. So we're not a startup and, and, and we're a very people oriented company as well. And so that culture that we've developed internally through our leadership is a really important part of the, the selling process and the appeal. And then the last is really the support functions. And again, I think because we've been around and because we have so many restaurants, because we have so many company restaurants. Our infrastructure is basically built out with really good people. So when you talk about training, distribution, um, you know, POS systems, food ordering, labor scheduling, all these things are sort of figured out. Uh, So we have all of that support structure in place. So again, if you're joining the brand, it's not like joining a startup where you don't know what it's going to be like in five years. Now you know exactly what you're getting and you could go and you could experience it and see it.
0: That's beautiful. You mentioned menu innovation and, and that's something that, from menuing, menu packaging and all the rest, you had to think about a lot during the pandemic. That was something that was key probably during the pandemic. What were some of the ways that you created Buzz? Because I know that we just lived through a very weird time, but what were some of the ways that you created Buzz could be around menu innovation and beyond?
2: So I. The most important thing with the buzz side of it, honestly, was the brand. Um, and I think we had to start we had to start with the brand because during what we saw, I started last January, so right before the pandemic hit. And at that given time, what we were recognizing is that the brand the awareness around the brand was starting to decline a little bit. and what we needed to do with the pandemic being that um, people were not going into restaurants as much. It was really important that we, increase brand awareness. And you do that a couple of different ways. One of the ways was definitely with our food. Um, And our food is very special, but the innovation around our food is even more special. And so very quickly after the pandemic hit, we introduced family meals. um, And because we saw this trend where everybody, during quarantine, everybody was at home and they wanted variety for their family members and they wanted that convenience. And so we introduced family meals, we introduced perfect bowls. And I don't know if you remember around the June timeframe, people had been in quarantine for two months and gained the Mm COVID-19. And they were like, we just want some healthy options. So we took our our best dishes and made it focused around the different dietary lifestyles. So whether it was keto, paleo, and we really um, merchandised those in a way that was easy to find and easy to meet those dietary needs. But as the um, pandemic went along, we started to kind of go back to What are we going to do when this were really coming out of this? So it was really um, focused initially on like how do we meet the needs at that moment, but now what we focused on is some of the new menu items which we just introduced in January a cauliflower gnocchi which is absolutely delicious, Um, and yeah, it's just really good. It's way better than what you'd get at like a Trader Joe's or any kind of restaurant, and then. The second thing that we just um, launched nationally last week was our tortelloni. Not tortellini, tortelloni. Because the reason that's important is because we've created this very premium filling that, that Um, makes that tortellini bigger and over like just yummy and overfilled and it's just delicious and so and it comes with some of our more popular sauces so we're now we're in this state of we aren't necessarily addressing COVID needs we are addressing broader guest needs and innovating around that Um, and so you must you must go try the gnocchi and the tortelloni it's delicious I guess we're going to have to.
1: I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. I mean, I wish it wasn't 10 o'clock in the morning, but I think that, you know, overall, that does sound kind of nice, and maybe we will have to do that.
0: We have our lunch set. We have our lunch set, apparently.
1: Um, But, you know, I want to get into this a little bit, and I think that this is more a conversation with both of you, because I think that what we've been hearing a lot, you know, over the course of our interviews, just, you know, we've done almost 300 of these at this point, and I think that we uh, have been hearing a lot lately, and I'm sure you guys have been too, if you've been turning on your computer or looking at your phone at any point. But obviously, incentivizing people to come into work and to, you know, get them to leave the leave the uh, I suppose the beaches of unemployment and to come back into the workforce again has been really difficult for everybody. So, you know, I think I just want to make this more of a macro question. You know, John, I would love to hear what you're saying to folks when, you know, they're asking questions about this, because any restaurant franchise development person is probably dealing with this question as a pain point. But also, Stacey, I would love to hear, you know, some innovations that you guys have had around, you know, how you're getting people to come back and get excited and be engaged about working with noodles, because I think it's more than the And the culture—the culture is a big part of it, but there are other aspects, I'm sure. So, uh, John, we'll start with you. Just when when there's a pain point that comes up, is there, you know, what are you typically saying to folks?
3: So, I I relate to them. My experience when I joined Noodles and and I spent five days in the restaurant in training, is it became very apparent to me very quickly that the the team and the crew worked together really well and enjoyed being there. And it sounds simple, but I think that's really the key to it is that, you know, you create an environment at work that, first of all, it's an open kitchen um, and it's not, let's say it's it's sort of not a messy cooking process. It's actually sort of a fun cooking process. You're sauteing, you're flipping the food in the pan. It's fun food. Um, The guests are there, you know, with a smile on their face. So it creates an environment that you enjoy being in. So I think, that's the, I think that's the primary reason um, that we've been successful and that we're able to retain employees as well as create an environment. So I'm talking to franchisees, especially ones that have other brands, they can relate to that, right? Because, you know, you know, you take QSR, which has primarily been drive-through, there's almost no interaction with the guest. You're sort of stuck in this box and just passing things out the window. Um, or you take the you know, full-service dining, which has all been shut down, um, you know, th- those to me are real struggles to, you know, why would that be appealing to somebody to work in? But then you come into a noodles, have this open kitchen, you have this fun atmosphere, you talk about the culture, the art we've created. I think, you know, I think Stacy didn't, uh, give enough credit to herself, but one of the things that they, that happened during COVID was again, really focusing on the culture, knowing that people were going to be isolated. And so doing things and helping the crew stay engaged and, and, um, stay friendly and and want to come into work.
1: Yeah, 100%. And Stacey, I would love to have you kind of weigh in on some of the innovations that you've had because I know that there are some. I've been briefed on it a little bit, but would love to kind of hear it from you.
2: Do you mind if I just build on what John said and then I'll talk about the innovations, is one of the things that that brought me to Noodles and I think continues to keep people here is our core values. And I think it's said well, our CEO says it, where it's, you know, we really do want to be a case study in having a a value system based on caring and loving one another, but while also driving growth. And we are very much in growth mode right now, which is, is very exciting. But people come here because we do genuinely care about the employees, which to John's point, the reason we have a fun environment is because they feel loved and cared for. And so I think that that's a very special aspect of our culture. Um, on the innovation side, what people get excited about is definitely the menu I've talked about, but digital. Um, And thank goodness that before the pandemic hit, we were in a very good spot with our digital ecosystem. We had a rewards program that was pretty successful at that point. Um, It's become even more successful since COVID. Um, But we also had just launched a new app, a new website. We launched a new um, marketing communication platform that allowed us to go to market more effectively. Um, We had every way to get your food, quick pickup. We had delivery, third-party delivery. Um, But when COVID hit in March, within a month's timeframe, we were able to launch curbside and delivery through our our, um, noodles channels. And I think that what that did for the employees is it made them feel confident and stable because they were they felt good about the fact that we were able to introduce stuff so fast but that it would stabilize their employment because we were actually able to recovery much more recover much more quickly because of what we had in place and, and innovate more effectively so that that the digital side was definitely a key contributor to our recovery but also for employees feeling stable and confident in where they were working
0: yeah, that's beautiful. Um, one of the questions I want to ask you, I'm just curious for myself. When you talked about some of the menu innovations, and then my next real question is actually on building on what you just said, but I'm just curious. Menu innovation wise, you mentioned the family meals, and you know you noticed that people are at home. People probably want to order for the family because everyone's at home. How are you going about, and then with the next the next observations that you made, are you just listening to the folks in the field? Are you doing focus groups? Are you just looking at the analytics? Like, where, where are you turning to kind of be in front of what you should be focused on in the programs marketing-wise that you should be rolling out next?
2: Everything that you just said. I would say we definitely start with macro trends. Macro trends being where is, you know, how are people engaging? Um, with content, how are they engaging with restaurants, um, just brands in general, but then also culinary wise, what kind of macro trends are we seeing? But during the pandemic, we did a lot of listening. Um, We, whether that listening was in a focus group or whether it was using our tools to be able to go and mine the data, to understand what was resonating, what wasn't, um, what was working. And so it was, it was really a combination of everything. We use social too as a, as a tool. Um, our amazing manager of PR that's sitting in the room with us right now leads our guest care team. Um, and there's so much that funnels back through to the marketing team from that team. So we have a lot of different ways to listen to guests, but um, that is the number one thing for us is listening to our guests, helping them, supporting them, and then also listening to our employees. So we did surveys even during the pandemic about what was working, what wasn't working, and that all funnels back up through the operations team that that gets pulled together with just insights that we have about our guests. Um, and so, yeah, all of it.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And then as you look at the, the the local playbook, if you will, you know, you're doing all these things at the macro level and you're listening I would love to, without getting into Secret Sauce, dive into what some of those tools are, because the audience do loves to do love to hear that. But what are some of the, what is the playbook, the local playbook? I'm a franchisee. I come on board because I know that you you are putting a big focus on growth on the franchise side of the business. What does that local playbook look like? What are the things that I'm doing in my five-mile radius or whatever the radius is? You know, I'm sure it's a combination of obviously picking the right real estate and all the rest, but digitally, what does the local playbook look like?
2: Um, I would answer that two ways. The franchisees that we've been working with over the last, or that I've been working with since I've been here, it's, it's evolved a lot. There was a lot more local activations, which is harder to scale and harder to see an ROI with. And so... We've really worked hard with them to get them to understand the benefit of using our data to be more effective within their local areas. And so what we've really introduced in the last two to three months is local media targeting. Um, and, And that has, we've seen great success in really taking the people that have a preference for their restaurant, targeting them with specific messages to get them to come into the restaurant. We've seen a very strong ROI with that.
0: How are you identifying people that have an affinity for the restaurant?
2: So we have a very strong rewards program. We have about 3.6 million members right now. And every member has indicated what their preferred restaurant is. And so we are able to take that data, we feed it into our media engine, and we can be very specific on going after that person. Additionally, though, to bring in new people, it's more of a brand-heavy message. Um, But we're able to take that message and even geo-target around the restaurant. So we're really driving that repeat person and we're driving that new person. Um, But if it's not digital, the local activations in the more traditional sense is we've seen very good success in fundraising nights Mm -hmm. where people want to give back to their community. They want to be engaged with the restaurants within their community.
0: Well, especially now with the pandemic, a lot of these fundraisers and nonprofits and whether it's ball teams and all of that, they haven't been able to do the activities that they they would typically do. And so now there's the thirst and a need totally. to be able to
2: Yeah. And they haven't been able to raise the money that they have historically been able to raise. And so we have really leaned into that and seen great success with our fundraising nights.
1: I love that. So you mentioned something for a second there, Ryan, about you know, real estate and and it kind of had a question arise out of me, and I think this is best served for, for for John to answer this. And and I think that it's no secret that real estate is certainly in an interesting place right now because there's just so much of it available, more than ever right now, honestly. I I believe I saw, didn't we see something? There was like 2.4 like billion square feet of like available space that's like out there right now that people are like trying to fill. I thought that one of our guests said that at some point. And it's just unbelievable to me that there's so much out there. And I think it, unfortunately, it's due to unfortunate circumstances, but also just due to consumer trends, too. So, you know, John, I'm curious to hear, have you guys innovated at all in terms of what your model looks like? And have you guys decided to go smaller, maybe do co-branding with somebody else or to do food trucks or anything like that that has or do non-traditional anything that might be a little bit more out of the box than what
3: your core, current box typically is? Yeah, we've done several things. I would say the uh, probably that maybe not the most innovative, but probably the most successful thing that we've done is that we've recognized more from a a trade area standpoint is that we've been very fortunate over the years uh, that the majority of our restaurants in what I would call more suburban residential type of locations. Well, during the pandemic, that was the sweet spot of where all the growth was. So we were able to very quickly see the benefit of having that versus a downtown you know, central business district type location or a location that's dependent upon entertainment, for example, like, like a, a movie theater or a shopping mall. So as we look for new real estate, we sort of have that model already built as to where we're going to go and focus in on those type of trade areas. Um, I would say the two things from an innovation true facility innovation. One is the size. It's not surprisingly, we're building locations with smaller dining rooms. Um, And secondly, we're adding in pickup windows. That's not a drive-through where you order at the board, but it's just another level of convenience. So whether you do curbside pickup or actually can drive up to a pre-order through through your mobile app, uh, you know, know what time your food's going to be ready and then drive up to the window and pick it up. Um, So, I want to say, what, 70 or 80% of our new restaurants have opened up with a pickup window, a drive-up pickup window, which has been huge and significant.
1: Yeah, I'd imagine that's probably going to make a pretty significant difference, is just being able to adjust to the, you know, to the tastes and trends that, that people are having. And I would also imagine, I mean, that a lot of people are probably viewing it as a lot more attractive. I think that one thing that a lot of brands found out the hard way is that a lot of the food that they had didn't really exactly deliver in the way that they would have liked and it didn't get picked up and you weren't able to have the same experience. But you guys obviously have the luxury of, you know, noodles typically, unless there's something that's fried on it, you know, typically you don't really run into that issue. And so, you know, John, when you're talking to these multi-unit owners that are out there, you know, I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, when when somebody comes to you and they say, you know, what in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months because it's no secret that there are a lot of people you know the the franchise the franchise development market is going to be very very busy um you're going to be a busy man i would imagine so we're happy that you were able to spend the time with us for a bit you know when you're talking about diversing the portfolio and i know you touched on it a little bit you know trends that you see coming you know why do you think that noodles is going to be well positioned based off of the consumer tastes that are that are happening out there and what's changing
3: yeah, I th- I think, you know, I sort of touched on it earlier. Um, so certainly from an economic position, we're in a great spot. Um, so again, it's it's not a high dollar investment, which is a good place to be. We have high average unit volumes, which is a great place to be. And we have very good margins And if So if you think about our food, noodles and pasta is the primary ingredient to the food, is a very low food cost item. And so when somebody orders a dish, uh, if they add a protein to it steak or chicken, that's an added they actually add that to the meal, so it raises the cost of that item so it's sort of a built in economic model from a from a food cost standpoint that is very much in our favor um, so that's one thing I think as other franchises about the concept recognize that that those unit unit level economics are so critical to their success. Um, you know you, you talked briefly about the the sort of the, the whole takeout and delivery. There's no question that trend is gonna continue. And one of the things again, that we learned during the pandemic is that our food travels extremely well. Um, It stays hot, it stays fresh, um, which again, a lot of food doesn't. And a lot of us sort of forgot about that, didn't know that. And in fact, one of the things that we really saw during COVID is that people were looking for, you know, where could they go and get food to take out? Because a lot of the food that we like to go and eat at a restaurant doesn't taste good when you take it home. Our food does. Um, and we put it in a, a really – in fact, it's, I was checking at the hotel last night and the, the, the desk manager saw I was with noodles. He goes, oh, not only do I love noodles, but my whole dishware are takeout noodle containers. <laughs> like I keep them I, you know I clean them and save them. And, and that's – I mean it sounds kind of silly, but that's really important to people. You know, it's like, okay, if, if my restaurant experience is no longer in restaurant – but is now in my home or in my office or on the road. It's having food that's, you know, uh, it's a nice, you're eating from a nice dish, it's still hot and it's still fresh. That really resonates with franchisees so that our positioning of where we are, I think is a really good one to be.
2: Can I add to that? I, I think just to build on that is that we also saw during the pandemic that people would order two meals and the second meal would be meant for the next day. Lunch. And there, I don't think anybody could say that you could do that with a hamburger, a burrito, like there's nothing that warms up the same way it tastes when it's in the restaurant. And so I think that that's another opportunity for us too, is to think about how do we get people to order a single dish, multi dish, and be able to warm it up the next day just because it, it handles so well.
0: Yeah, that's a really strong, that's a good observation. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, you mentioned on the social media front, you mentioned that you you use that as one of the mechanisms by which you're listening. Obviously, reputation management is an important thing, but is, is there anything else on the social media front that you put a, a focus on beyond paid, paid anything paid advertising, but is there anything social-wise campaigns or anything that you've put a focus on that you've seen success with?
2: Most of our social campaigns are within the larger marketing campaign that we're doing. It's really important and we've seen good success where every message that we put out there is in sync with the message across all different touch points. Um, And so whether it's um, gnocchi rollout or whether it's a tortelloni, but what I would add that we've seen um, in the last year is really focusing the message around our core values. And I, and the reason for that is that people, uh, and people cared about aligning to brands with purpose before, but it's even more important now. And the purpose that we have are in our mission around nourishing, nourishing and inspire, expiring our team members and our guests in our community has really resonated. And we use that in social as a way to say, here's who we are as a brand. And the content we put out there is very oriented around our core values. And so what you're going to continue to see is more focus on team members, more focus on our um, inclusivity and diversity um, point of view, because that's very, very important going forward. And also just like where the brand's going to take some, Firmer stances on what it means, what, how we do good for the environment, how we do good for social justice, um, and so that's probably, if anything, where we've seen some pickup and momentum, and a lot more commenting is um, around our our stance and and the purpose we have as a brand.
1: Awesome. So I think that what I want to do just in in to kind of round everything out here guys is just to you know from both of you if there was any you know major key initiatives that you have that we haven't shared and I know that you know John will will start with you and the in the franchise development world I know you guys have some pretty ambitious goals uh, that you're that you're going after and I know that franchise de- franchising has you know, historically been something that you guys have done, but you're going to be doing it in a really big way now. And so uh, any major initiatives you have on the docket? And then, of course, Stacey would love to hear anything that you have under your sleeve over there as well.
3: Yeah, I would say on the, on the franchise development side, um, number one is that we don't have to franchise so this is, we're electing to do this, and, and we're looking for great partners to partner with. So it puts us, in, I think, in a very good position that we're, it's, our hand is not being forced to hit a certain number by a certain date, but to find the right partners and do this the right way. So we're being very deliberate on, on who we bring in as partners. So I think that's one really important thing. Um, one of the other uh, initiatives we're looking at, and Stacy mentioned diversity and inclusion, is That is also something that we, not only do we believe in as a company, but we believe there's an underserved market there for within franchising for uh, around diversity inclusion. Um, So uh, whether working with our board members, working with some outside groups, is we think that's another place that, and it's a longer term play, um, I believe that you know it's it's not something that you could just sort of turn on overnight. But there's a lot of education that has to happen. There's a lot of creating opportunities for franchisees that may not be ready to become a franchisee today, but it may take them. But to bring people into our industry, uh, introduce them to our brand, uh, with the intent of having them grow into becoming a franchise partner. So that to me is really exciting because it's a longer term view of the industry and in a uh, viewing the industry as is making sure you have the right partners in place, knowing that it's a long-term play. You know, this is a 20-year adventure in franchising at a minimum. Absolutely. Stacy. anything from you?
2: I actually have three things, if you don't mind. Of course. Um, the first thing I would say is staffing. I mean, I think with the roadshow you guys are on right now, you're probably feeling the the stress that a lot of operators have around Staffing, Um, and so getting our message out there, continuing to reinforce what we stand for as a brand and why you should work for us is going to be a huge focus. And I would say, even with our existing franchisees and potential franchisees, they're gonna—that's going to be the number one thing that they care about—is can they actually staff the restaurants? Because it matters when it comes to the guest experience. The second thing I would say is um, John talked about this a little bit, but we're testing ghost kitchens. And I which like is that. super interesting. Um, and we're actually we've we have one in the Chicago area right now. We're expanding to San Jose. I have ordered from there. I That's, know. Thank you. I <laughs> appreciate course. that. But I, I think what we're seeing is that the delivery option and the brand being that the brand awareness is high in Chicago. We're not having to overcome that. But we're able to get people food more effectively um, through the delivery and the ghost kitchen. So and it's a it's a it's favorable when it comes to the economic side. And then the third area, which I'm most passionate about <laughs> is um, the data that we have. So we're, we at this point in time are not a brand that has endless marketing dollars. As we grow, of course, marketing spend will increase. But even if it does increase, we have to be more effective with how we go to market and reach our guests. And one thing that I think is really unique about new noodles is that we are seeing growth in absence of having a huge marketing spend. And that's because of our data and the way that we use it, which is unique in the um, fast casual space. There's a couple larger brands that do it, but what we're doing with the data and the way that we mine the data and then um, use it for personalization and targeting purposes is very, very effective. And so a lot of the um, recovery is because of, we've become smarter and smarter, smarter in how we're engaging with our guests.
0: Yeah, that's uh, the personaliz- personalization thing is huge. Do you, do you, off the top of your mind, and and as we move to close, I think that was kind of the closing question. I'd like to add one more closing question and have you give, you know, advice for fellow folks that may be listening that are in each of your respective roles, uh, just kind of uh, get on the soapbox and kind of parting words of advice. But one thing I want to ask is on the personalization front, is there any examples that come to mind for how you've taken that data and how you're bringing in personalization? Because I think that's a huge theme. It's a huge trend that's happening. And obviously, people are people and they want to be spoken to like people and not just a person on a blast. Um, But any, any ideas that come to mind on the personalization front for how you're implementing that?
2: We, when the pandemic hit, we started to segment our guests based on their loyalty engagement. So we have a super loyal audience down to somebody that we call as lapsed, somebody that we haven't seen in a while. And so we created different segments between those guests. And then we started to put different offers in front of them. And so we tried a $3 versus a $2 off or extra points in your account versus dollar off. And what we've been able to do then is test and understand for those different segments what the most effective offer is. So for like a super loyal person, they actually want a point offer versus dollar off. For somebody that has lapsed, they resonate more with the um, $3 off. And so now what we're doing is we're taking that data and personalizing the points For the super loyal guest versus dollar off, Um, and so that's a that's a very real way that we've seen frequency go up is by offering specific, uh, providing a specific offer to the different segments.
0: That's beautiful. Um, And then how you're communicating that? Obviously, you have your app. Is it email and text, or how are you communicating that?
2: Yeah, email, text. We also use that data and feed it into paid media, um, so we can target. Directly with people that we know. Um, but yeah, it's primarily email.
1: Yep. Yeah. Music to our ears. We love when people are doing stuff like that.
0: Yep. Um, so, p- as parting words, advice, um, and then also where do folks go if we have a lot of interested prospects that listen to the show? And I think that antennas went up when you talked about uh, the, the unit economics and the posi- kind of the position that you're in higher margins. That is exactly what folks want um, because historically the, in the food world it's razor-thin margins and so um, parting words of advice where do people go to learn more
3: so uh, where they go to uh, learn more is noodles.com and we're we'll actually be debuting there's currently a franchise link and page on noodles.com right now uh, and we're going to be introducing a whole new noodles franchise website here in the next 30 days which is very exciting um, and our belief in that website is for it to be very informative so it'll be very rich in content. It'll be very interesting for people to read and look at because uh, we know that when people – this is not an easy decision to, to become a franchisee or to become a noodles franchisee. So we want to give them an opportunity to really learn about us. I would say my parting word of advice is to take the time to get to know uh, who you want so that selection process – of who you wanna bring in as your franchise partner is extremely important. Uh, we know that the general manager at the restaurant level is the most important person in our organization and having a franchisee that understands that and supports that and is also gonna be working towards that same goal is really important to us and I think for anybody uh, that's an important goal.
2: Um, I would say hire the right people. Um, and I it's kind of piggybacking on what John said, like we want the right partners But what I feel is most important when we're talking about the franchise space, though, is that the corporate side has the right people in place to help drive the franchise business. Um, And for me, there is no way we would be where we are if it weren't for the marketing team. In my case, the marketing team that is in place. They're amazing, smart, sophisticated, and I think potential franchise partners will benefit tremendously just from who we have in place. So hire the right people.
1: Well, folks, thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, but I uh, really appreciate uh, you guys, of course, both joining us today uh, and uh, looking forward to hopefully uh, getting to spend some more time with you guys at another point very soon. And uh, folks, thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more awesome episodes for the rest of the tour. Cheers, everybody.